0: going uh, with Romans 14. It's definite kind of change of pace, still in the same theme as we'll say in a moment. I want to begin with two questions for you. You ready kind of start thinking? I'm gonna throw some questions at you right off the bat. Here we go. Yes or no? It's within yourself. Is it possible for something to be okay with God, allowed by God, for some people But the same activity is not okay, not allowed by God, for other people. So kind of think that through in your mind. Taste that a little bit. Yes or no. Is it possible? Come on, you know, what's good for one should be good for everybody. So here's the question. Is it possible for an activity for God to say, this group's allowed to do it, this group can't? And you're probably already thinking of some illustrations that, yes, that is possible that God would say, not sin for this group. It is sin for this group. A couple of very obvious examples would be here in the United States, here in South Carolina, Anderson County. We have speed limit laws, and we have traffic light laws, and you and I have to abide by them, but there are groups of people that don't have to abide by those, namely police officers, fire trucks, ambulances under certain conditions can go through the red light, and they can break the speed limit. Another example of that would be sex. In other words, in the eyes of God, sex is allowed for some and not allowed for others. It is allowed for those who are married. And if you're not married, not allowed. Second question, similar but a little different twist, here it comes. Is it possible for something, an activity, to be okay for the same person, one person, to do sometimes, to some levels... But the same person cannot do that activity at all times, at all levels. Is it possible for that? Like, okay, here's just one person, not not different people. One person, one activity, they can do that at some times but not at other times. To some levels, not at other levels. I would again propose to you the answer is yes. Simple, obvious example is eating. Is eating sinful? Yes or no? Is eating? No. Is there a line, and I cannot tell you what that line is, is there a line that can be crossed at which eating can become sinful? The Bible word for that is the sin of gluttony. That is sin. We don't really preach on that because most of us are very guilty of that here in the United States. But it's sin. Another one, let's go back to the sex activity Sexual activity is allowed by married people but only within the marriage, only within the marriage. Nobody can say, hey, yeah, I got married one time so I can have you know, sexual activity when, where, with whomever I want. I got married once. You ought to try, you should get married. It really, No, within just the marriage. So our conclusion here this morning is yes, some activity is approved for some but not approved for others. And we may not always like that but that's to say how come they're getting to speed by because look at their vehicle. There's a reason. Okay, How come they get to do that? Well, they've entered into a covenant. We'll read Romans 14 in a few moments but the context is still for 11 chapters we've been in this theology, theology, theology. Chapter 12 verse 1 took a major turn to very practical applicable uh, teaching and the main application listen throughout the main application has been this and get it again grace for Be- you love one another love god love each other if you really love god you'll give your body as a living sacrifice if you really love god you'll spend time with him in prayer and in the word of God and he'll start changing your thinking you'll not be like everyone else in this world if you really love you have been given spiritual gifts if you really love you will use your spiritual gifts to build up other Christians you'll not just hoard them and only be served or seclude yourself away from even being served you will serve other people you'll find God show me I want to serve because I love you and I love them you'll forgive people when they wrong you you'll love your brothers you'll honor them with your presence making no distinctions on appearance or wealth or what you perceive to be intellectual or unintellectual. You'll not make those distinctions. You'll honor people. Again, when you are wrong, you'll be quick to forgive. You'll love one another in such a way that you will actually end up fulfilling the law. I don't need laws because I love this person. I'm not going to murder them or commit adultery against them or steal from them or desire their things. Love, love, love. It's been all the way through chapter 12 and 13. And it continues today. We're going to be in Romans 14 for probably at least a month. I would say at least four weeks, maybe five. We'll see what the Lord has in store. Catch this. It is greatly needed. Someone, you may hear this and say, wow, this was very different. Long introduction. When Jeff got to the end, he didn't even do like an invitation thing. He just kind of, I'm going to warn you, we're just going to stop the sermon and it will be continued next week. We'll pick up there. And so you really work today we're mainly laying a foundation. Why is this chapter so needed it's needed because christians have disagreements christians have disagreements and when you hear disagreement i hope you don't think arguments and fighting and quarreling it doesn't have to be that in fact if we'll abide by romans 14 it will not turn into that but we have to be honest christians have disagreements why because christians have differences like what kinds of differences let me mention a few this is a fact in this room right now christians are at different levels spiritually christians are at different levels of spiritual knowledge and that creates differences and disagreements again i'm not a brand new christian anymore i've been saved for 39 years i'm not brand new at this i know more now than i did then But I'm not where I'm going to be or where I need to be yet. There are Christians who are far ahead of me in knowledge and maturity and in spirituality. So I'm not where they're at yet, but I'm not where I began. But right here in this auditorium this morning, there's an array of people. You have brand new Christians. You have very mature Christians. And all in between, spiritual knowledge, different levels, spirituality. There's another one. This is important. Do not blow this off. I told you we have a lengthy introduction. Christians have different personalities. It's real. We have different tastes. I'm not talking about food. We have different preferences. And those of you that are older, can you agree with me that our preferences and tastes can change with age? You ever notice that? You're like, you notice it in the physical world? You don't wear the clothes you wore when you were younger. Not only because they're not in style, just because, well, you say I don't, like, I don't fit in them anymore, but okay. But really, you're like, I've just changed. You listen to different music today than you did when you were younger. Why? We have different personalities, different tastes, different preferences. They change. Real quick there, young people. Listen to me. I'll promise you, your tastes and preferences will change. Be gracious and accommodating and aware of those whose tastes and preferences have already changed. You've not been older yet. Older folks can I encourage you you have been young and now you're a little bit more mature but do you remember when you were younger and so when you encounter people who have different tastes and preferences it's okay that was you just a few years ago right and so you need to be gracious and accommodating and yes we're going to have differences I know of differences in the congregation I've heard of some just this week and it's over here and it's over here and I'm like what do we care what are we do we want to do you can't make everybody happy But I think if we'll learn Romans 14, we'll get where we need to be. Here's another one, very important. We have disagreements because Christians have different life experiences and cultures. So these are not all the same. Different spiritual levels, different tastes, preferences, personalities, different life. I was reared by Charles and Louise Bartlett in Weaverville, North Carolina. While that was going on, Deanna was in Pennsylvania just outside of Philadelphia and then inside Philadelphia by her parents being reared. She was not on my radar. I wasn't on her. She was being reared in one lifestyle. It was very different. She's a city girl, and I grew up hunting and fishing, right? We did bear hunting and coon hunting and and fishing and things like that, and I'm not good at any of that. I grew up digging ditches, and her dad was a pastor. Very different, but both Christians. And by the way, we're fooling ourselves if we get buy into this idea that America, 21st century, particularly Southeast United States Bible Belt has a corner market on Bible truth and all the other countries in the world that have Christians out there need to line up with how we do Christianity. That's a joke, guys. We, we know better than that. So we've got to be careful about setting up our measurements as if it's all riding on how we're living our Christian life. Now, there are some things that are the same and we'll talk about that in a moment so we fool ourselves if we ignore these facts of differences and the potential impact they may have these facts that I just laid out can disrupt our unity and can rob our joy unless we listen Grace for you unless we intentionally do what Paul tells the Ephesians in chapter 4 of Ephesians verse number 3 not a direct quote but he says be eager to maintain The unity in the bond of peace that we have in the spirit. Be eager to maintain because differences are coming, disagreements are coming. You've got to kind of strive and fight, not with each other, but fight for each other in the unity. Notice, it is not trying to create unity, but fight and be eager to maintain the unity. We already have one body of Christ, not many. There is one Lord, one hope, one Holy Spirit one Father of all, one baptism, all of this, is one. So we have this common ground. We need to fight for the unity. Romans 14, would you read it with me with that as the background? We'll read all the way through. Today, we'll kind of honest. I'm going to tell you, it's not going to be nice and neat where we do like we've been doing verses, chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, and then we hit verses 7 through 10, and then we hit verses 11 through 14. Each one was its own stand-alone message. Chapter 14, we're going to kind of weave around We'll kind of look at verses 1 through 4, but not really. We're just going to have a couple of main points to stay as we introduce the chapter for this month. Verse 1. Switching gears. The theme is love. Love hasn't changed. That's the application. Love, love, love. Verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. But not to quarrel over opinions. So welcome them, but don't just welcome them to quarrel over opinions. What do you mean weak and faith? One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains, I'm not eating that, let not him pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. That phrase, God has welcomed them," I think really applies to both of those groups. And then it seems he focuses a little bit on the one who does not eat here. Verse 4. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? That's a great question. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? We'll look at that next week. It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. Now, he switches gears from the diet of a person to days. Verse 5, one person esteems one day as better than another. There's one day of the month, one day of the year, one day of the month, one day out of the week. It's, they, this is the really, this is the main day, this is the special day. Verse 5, while another esteems all days alike. Every day special. Each one, Paul says, each person should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, in other words, they'll eat like anything. Eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself, For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again. Why did he do this? That he might be Lord of both the dead and of the living. Now again, he gets back to his groups. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you? Switches to the other, to the strong here. Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God For it is written As I live says the Lord Every knee shall bow to me And every tongue shall confess to God Paul says so then each of us Will give an account of himself to God you're not going to give an account of the other people You're going to give an account of yourself So why are you trying to judge them And why are you despising them Verse 13 Therefore let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. Translation, stop it. You've already been doing it. Don't do it anymore. No longer. But rather, decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. Now, Paul's going to show his hand. I'm not saying he's playing poker here. But in verse 14, Paul's showing his hand. Here he comes. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean of itself. I know that, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. I know there's nothing wrong with it, but if they think there's something wrong with it, there is something wrong with it for them. And that applies to the ones who don't think there's anything wrong, because watch verse 15. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, I don't think anything wrong with it. Hold on. If your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. That's the theme of the whole section. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. But I, I like what I eat, and I like what I drink. Verse 17. Well, if somebody's listening to this on a the recording, they're going to get really confused which, which part of what I'm saying is actually in the text, and which is not, so you'd need to find a Bible. I am adding commentary along the way, so be careful here. Verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. That's not what it's all about. But of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable acceptable to God and approved by men both. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food. Translation. It's just food. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Tips his hand again. Here it comes. Middle of verse 20. Everything is indeed clean. Paul's very clear here, verse 14 and verse 20. Everything is indeed clean. I know that. Some of you know that. But it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. He expands it. Here it comes. He kind of gives a hint of what he's been talking about even underlying all along. Verse 21. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine why because it's wrong oh verse 21 and by the way don't just take this only we need to hang on when we get here we'll talk about it he says it's good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble the faith that you have keep between yourself and God blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves and he kind of finishes back with the we but whoever has doubts you know I don't know if this is right or wrong I can't say if it's sin or not what I'm getting ready to do. Verse 23. Whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatsoever does not proceed from faith is sin. Romans 14. Today I want us to look at two things. If we could, number one, uh, it would be very different. Again, we'll just finish the sermon. Not lots of application. I'm going to be a little bit of application. I'll stop abruptly. We'll either pray and sing a song, and we'll see how it goes, but probably not an invitation Sunday. We're going to kind of try to line up our theology today, so we're getting back into that, and then we're going to get in heavier application next week. So this morning, number one, we need to define who are the weak and the strong. Who are the weak and the strong? Who are these people? Paul's referring to the weak, and I didn't read into chapter 15, but he's going to refer to the strong, need to welcome the weak. So who are these weak and the strong? Listen carefully. Some people have a belief that Christians catch it who have the most rules and the strictest rules are the godliest and most spiritual people. Say it again. Some people go there, like, that guy's the most godly spiritual person I know. Really? What makes you say that? Well, they got all kinds of rules. They won't do this and this and that. They really restrict themselves and they make themselves do this and this and this and this. And it's like, that's why you think, oh, yeah, they've got to be the most spiritual person. Look at all the rules they have. Careful. That's not automatically the case of a spiritual person. So Romans 14 is going to imply, and by the way, I'm going to go and tell you, being honest, I am going to bring in a group from 1 Corinthians 8 and 10 that we're not going to take time today and track it down. I'm going to offer four groups of people that we see referred to in Romans 14. Four groups of people. Number one, weaker Jews are being spoken about. Weaker Jews. You want to get this. This is all groundwork being laid for the entire chapter. Who are these weak in faith? And I believe what it really would say here is weak in the faith Jews. Let me tell you what it's not. Ready? Weak in faith Jews are not Jews who, who lived weak moral lives. These are not Christians who lived very simple lives with no rules. In fact, the very opposite of it, they had many rules and apparently too many rules for their life. And so Paul is going to put them in the weak in faith, weak in the faith category. Too many rules. For instance, the weak in the faith Jews have this belief. i want to read my, my list carefully here. Notice the first few words. These followers of Christ, so these are saved people, these are good people, but these followers of Christ, honestly, in their heart of hearts, felt that it was wrong, that they should not eat certain foods that were forbidden in the Old Testament. We should not eat those foods, the Old Testament is clear, those are unclean foods, they also felt we should not work on the Sabbath day, on Saturday. We don't do work on that. Why? Because that's one of the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. God did His work of creation in six days, and not that God needed to rest, but He set an example for us. On the Sabbath day, He rested. And this principle goes all through the Word of God. And so we don't need to eat meat animals from animals that have been described as unclean in, in Leviticus chapter number 11, and we don't need to break the Sabbath day laws they didn't only just think this they abided by that I'm not eating that and I'm not doing anything from this point Friday evening until this point Saturday because of the scriptures and that's their stance and you say what are these unclean animals I'm not going to read Re- Leviticus 11 you can go home and read it it's too long for us this morning I'll kind of summarize a couple areas ready here's a, here's a clean animal a land animal very simple two categories ready has to have a cloven hoof a split hoof and has to chew the cud a cloven hoof chews the cud. So you're like, what in the world's chew the cud mean? Cloven hoof, a kind of guy, right? That has a two-part hoof, right? What's this chew the cud? It means they eat grass. It goes into one chamber of the, of the stomach. They regurgitate it, chew on it some more, swallow it again. Goes to another chamber in the stomach, regurgitate it again, and, and chew it some more. You see those cows laying over under the tree in the shade, and you're like, that, that thing ate that grass two hours ago. What is it? And they're just sort of chewing the cud. Cows, clean animal. Horse eats grass, not a clean animal, does not have a split hoof. Pigs have a split hoof, but they don't chew the cud, unclean. And you're like, hold on, time out. Did you just say no bacon, no sausage, no ham, no pork chops? Unclean. In the Old Testament, Jews do not eat those things. You're like, well, what about about water creatures and fish and things like that? Very simple, two rules, scales and fins. Scales and fins, you're like, that has to be every, every fish in the sea and in the creek. No, it isn't. No catfish, no shrimp. Have to have sc- uh, scales and fins. And you're like, got to have my catfish, got to have my sausage in my, my hand. I can't be Jewish. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. This group here would say, well, you're wrong. The Bible says. And here's the thought. The God of Christianity that's my religion is the same God of Judaism that I was in before. All I've done is learned that God's Son has come and paid for my sin. I put my faith in Him. It's the same God, and so why would He change His rules? I have Bible for this. It's in the Word of God. I'm not changing. Just a few hundred years before this, Daniel took a stand for the diet of the Jews, and God blessed him, and I'm going to be like Daniel. And I want to tell you guys, this was a big issue to them because they have Bible to back up why they do what they do. These are good people who live with some restrictions and some have-tos because they believe the Bible. They are very thankful to God and they have great faith in God. These are not wicked people. These are very moral people. Second group. Defining the weak and the strong. So if we have weak Jews, we have strong Jews. Strong Jews... Were Jewish followers of Christ. Notice they're also followers of Christ, but something's happened with them. They've realized they have freedom. From the Old Testament dietary laws and freedom from the exact restrictions. Yes, the principle of of the Sabbath day goes through into the New Testament, but they don't see themselves bound by the restrictions of the elders and the traditions that were placed on the Sabbath day. We're not bound by those laws. We're not bound by the laws of diet. Watch this. We don't have to offer sacrifices anymore. We don't have to keep the feasts and holy days that the Old Testament prescribed. What makes you think you don't have to do that? Because all of those things were pointing to Jesus Christ Christ came and fulfilled the law He kept all the law We are free from that We are not coming into Judaism Furthermore, these people would say Not only did those ceremonials watch you had the moral law, which is passed over to the New Testament. You had these ceremonial laws, which we just spoke of. And then you had these civil laws, which Israel was a nation. Civil laws run the government. The ceremonial laws were the religious things. The moral laws just apply to everybody for all time. And so these people are like, we, we know the moral laws have been passed on. The civil laws, that was Israel. These ceremonial ones, they've been fulfilled in Christ. I don't have to do those. They're not really re- restated as commands in the New Testament. Now that takes us to this third group, quickly. Weaker Gentiles. Uh Uh-oh, this is us. And this is where we'll not take time, but this would apply more out of 1 Corinthians 8 and 1 Corinthians 10. Who are these people? Listen. Weaker in the faith, Gentiles, were followers of Christ who felt, this is a long sentence, they feel that meat that comes from an animal that had been sacrificed by pagans and heathens to idols which are false gods that are being impersonated by demons to eat that meat from those animals sacrificed by those people to that idol backed by demons is sin. In fact, that meat is contaminated. It would be wrong to eat it. Further, watch this. Some believe they thought because of their experience, like I used to do that. I've been in those things. And I believe that these demons possess the meat and when people eat the meat, that's how they get inside people's bodies. And so you better not eat it. It is wrong and it's dangerous. Whoa. And so don't even ingest this meat. You may find yourself possessed of the demons that are impersonating these idols. The fourth group are strong Gentiles. What are strong Gentiles? You already seen the pattern. Here's what they are. These are also followers of Christ. This is important. They know that these idols are not really gods. They're fakes. They're phonies. That piece of wood, that piece of stone, that gold, silver, brass, bronze, iron, whatever you've molded, It's just that. There's nothing to it. These are fakes and phonies. And yes, there are demonic forces. Please get what I'm saying. Demonic forces that are impersonating these. And as people worship these things, no doubt they're making things happen to draw in the worship of these people or to put fear over these people. But a a strong in the faith Gentile knows, hold on, buddy, listen. There is no fear of this thing inhabiting the meat and you eat the meat and it's going to come into you. Why? Because a Christian has the Holy Spirit of God in them and no demon can possess where the Holy Spirit is. So case in point here, fact, Jeff Bartlett can never be possessed by a demon. Why? Because I'm possessed by the Holy Spirit. They have no chance. They can't make any... Can they harass me? Can they try to make me think thoughts from the outside? No doubt. But they can never possess me. So the strong in the faith Gentiles like, chill, dude. It's okay. now, the Bible doesn't say this, but it's presumed. I'm going to step outside of Scripture. I believe that apparently this meat that was offered to idols, false gods, that's left over would be taken down to the marketplace, by Bilo, Publix. And it would be sold beside all the others. Of course, they didn't have that. It's all outdoor. And here comes somebody along and they're wanting to buy some meat. And they're chewing away the flies like they would do in that culture. And they're noticing, I think, this over here is a little bit cheaper And they probably know why it's a little bit cheaper, but I'm not going to ask questions because I know that this just yesterday was a live cow that someone sliced its throat and offered it to the local god, and now it's on sale down here. And as a good steward, the the strong-in-the-faith Gentile wanting to spend God's money wisely is like, yeah, I'll take, uh, give me a couple of this and a few pounds of that and that and that, we've got a big party tonight. Like, Really? You could do that? Well, i ask you, here's my question. Not knowing what you know now, if you had lived in A.D. 56 when Romans was written and you did not have a New Testament that was completed, if you had lived then and you were told that, that right there is a cow that was alive yesterday, it was offered to that God, and here's the leftover meat from it. People were dancing around this animal last night praying that, 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 that the God would come in and possess or use this, and they had some leftover, and there it's getting ready to be on your plate. Could you in good conscience have eaten that? Not having the New Testament let's just make it a little more real if a Muslim imam sliced the, a jugular of a cow yesterday offered it to Allah and there was some meat left over and it's put before you and they say hey, by the way that was offered to Allah just yesterday can you eat that in good conscience if anything in you is like man I don't know about that I've got to kind of thing. weak in the faith Christian that's the category you would be in and that's okay and you're like, whoa, no, don't be calling me. I'm a very mature Christian. I'm just, I just got to think about it a minute. You have a New Testament, and if you're even having to like, I don't know. Now, hold on. This thing's been, been sacrificed and offered to Allah by Muslims. It's, look, hang on. It's meat. It's meat. Chemically, put it under a microscope. It's the same thing. Here's the point. Christian churches are constantly welcoming new people who do not yet have all the facts. Listen, that is a good thing. That means we're growing. I hope for as long as I'm here, God always has new Christians coming through Graceview and mature Christians at Graceview. And all in between, And the more mature training and teaching those that are just now coming into the faith. This is a good thing. Listen. Give God time with people to teach them just like he did with you. Guys, I, I'm a confession. I have no doubt this is going to happen. This will happen. I'm going to go to heaven. I know that's going to happen. When I get there, I think pretty, pretty, pretty quickly I'm going to learn. What? Yeah. You know that those things that you wouldn't do because you thought they were wrong? Yeah. Could have done them. What? We do that here. We do that here. Yeah. Just saying life was good, could have been a little better just letting you know, could have been a little better those people who did that and you thought they were wrong, they were right we do that here, enjoy man this is also going to happen, oh by the way you know those things that you didn't really feel bad about and you did I mean, that you did, didn't really really have a concern yeah, we don't do that here you shouldn't have done that, you should have read your bible and paid more attention to that book over there really? yeah, it was sin oh, I didn't know that's what's going to happen to me. And if you don't realize that's what's going to happen to you, you're fooling yourself. If you honestly say, no, no, I've got it all. I've got all the right answers. You're going to get a rude awakening. We're at different levels. None of us have arrived yet. We all have things that we're wrong about. You say, Jeff, do you think you're wrong about some things in the Bible? I am sure of it. What are they? I don't know. If I knew them, I would change. I don't yet know them. That's why I've got to keep studying. So these four types of people led to three philosophies. Let's write them real quickly. Number one. Philosophy number one. There is spiritual demerit in eating meat offered to idols. Spiritual demerit in working on the Sabbath day and ignoring the feast days. You better not ignore the holy days. You better not break the, the laws of the traditions of the Sabbath days. And you better not eat meat offered to idols. There's spiritual demerit in that. better not eat unclean animals or animals that have been offered to idols. Demerit. Second philosophy is exactly the opposite. You're going to say, this one seems really strong, watch. Second philosophy says, not only is there not spiritual demerit, here comes, there is spiritual merit in eating meat offered to idols. Say, wait a minute, you're not saying it's neutral. No, it's a good thing. Go get some meat offered to idols and eat it. And be willing to break the elders' traditions of the Sabbath. And and don't keep the feast days on and on and on. And don't offer sacrifices down at Jerusalem's temple anymore. Intentionally, don't do. Why would you do that? Because this is an opportunity to prove your faith and your assurance that salvation is by grace. It is not by performance. In other words, man, I'm going to eat this meat just to prove that I'm not earning my way to heaven. That God is, is not disfavored toward this. It is okay. Raise your hand if you ever heard of Titus, right? Raise your hand, if you heard of Titus? Titus was a Gentile. Titus lived in a time when the New Testament was a big debate. Gentiles that become Christians put their faith in Christ. Do they have to become Jewish if they become Jewish? Do these Gentile males need to be circumcised? Paul knows they do not. You do not have to become Jewish to be a Christian. You do not have to be circumcised. You know what he did with Titus? Titus, you've never been circumcised, correct? Have you put your faith and trust in Christ? Yes. Don't ever get circumcised. Okay. Somebody may say, why are you telling that young man to do that? I want him to prove a point that he is guaranteed, he's assured that Christ is enough, that he does not have to be circumcised just to kind of seal the deal and guarantee the fact. He's illustrating faith. You say there were three philosophies. Philosophy number one, spiritual demerit in doing this... Thought philosophy number two, know their spiritual merit in doing these things or not doing those things. And here's the third one. Whoa, whoa, guys, time out. This is a non-issue. Forget about it. Don't worry about it. You guys do your thing. You guys do your thing. And let's just forget about it. I'm here to tell you, all three philosophies have a wrong aspect to them. All three philosophies have danger to them. So today, we've introduced who are the weak, who are the strong. Weak Jews, got to keep the Old Testament rules. Strong Jews, we've been freed from those things. Christ fulfilled that. They all pointed to him anyway. Weak Gentiles, man, we can't eat that. That's been offered to an idol. Strong in the faith, Gentile. It's okay to eat that. Prove your faith in Christ. That, it's just meat. That leads to the second point. We'll have two today. Write this down. It comes out of verse number five. I want to implore implore Graceview to know why you believe what you believe. Know why you believe what you believe. Verse 5 of Romans 14 says, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Watch what Paul says. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. So whether you're on this side or on this side, are you fully convinced? What convinced you? This is important. I, I, I looked at this chapter this week. I had never written these notes and I'm thinking, boy, pastors like myself are preaching Romans 14. They're no doubt preaching to different types of congregations. And so I'm thinking, I thought of three types of churches that a pastor may find himself like I am this morning teaching to a congregation. So each, churches are different. So I'm going to give you three descriptions of churches, and some of you'll be like, "Man, I don't know. That sounds weird, and that sounds kind of strange." Others of you are going. Here's I promise. This what's going to happen? Been in one of those? Been in one of those? Been in one of those? Yeah, I know exactly. Three descriptions of churches. Here they come. Church number one. Picture it. Very mature church. Very mature. I mean, their buildings are mature. They're probably the brick buildings with the long, I'm not saying all of them, but the long, you know, rectangular, deep seats in the back, you know, pulpit up front, big high steeple, grounds are old. Their trees aren't short. Their trees are are tall. This church started 60, 80, 100 years ago. Very mature church. Listen, this church has long-established generational families that, here's the key deep roots in the Bible this church been it has been around a long time, God used this church deep roots in the Bible, they know their scriptures, they know the doctrines, they know the stances, it's been passed from generation, so here somebody did it, passed it to their kids, passed it to their kids, watch, that third generation are now the great grandparents of the ones who are alive today, and they've just been passing these things down, you're like, man, that's not like a good church So far, so good. Here's the problem. Over those generations, they have collected and gathered many man-made traditions and standards by which they consciously or subconsciously measure each other's spirituality and godliness and they use those man-made rules and standards that's been collected through the years and boy they're kind of born back here in the second or third generation and they taught them to this one and taught them to this one and now they're just kind of mingled all in with the bible stuff you can't differentiate between the two and so now when these people encounter people out in the world monday to saturday they either consciously or even subconsciously are judging people and by the way it's going on right now in Anderson right now in Anderson there are people right now who are walking around making judgments based off of how people are measuring up to these man made rules and traditions and some of you are like know what you're talking about Been in that church I can give you the name don't say the name don't say the name second church listen carefully the second church was in the recent past just like the first church. But they had a grace awakening. God brought a teacher or a pastor, God did something in his life, and all of a sudden they taught it, and boop, the light went on, and they had a grace awakening. This resulted in them realizing the Christian life is not about performance and measuring up to man made rules and standards. That is not the Christian life. And this has driven them and they've studied the Scripture. And their study of the Scripture has just soaked in what God says about how we live. Grace awakening. And you're hearing that and you say, man, this sounds like a good church. Now, I, man, I know churches like that. So far, so good, but here's the problem. The problem in the second church is that they now have no patience whatsoever for people in the first church. They're irritated by them, frustrated, despise them. In fact, here's how the thought goes. I don't even want to talk to them. I don't want to see them. They're so legalistic. They've got all their little rules and they judge us all. You know, I don't even want to see them. If I do, I change my, you know what, I want to talk to them. Give me an hour. Give me an hour. I'm going to pound them with some Romans, Galatians, and Ephesians. They can't answer the verses I'm going to lay on them. I'll set them straight. It bugs me. How can they be saved as long as they've been saved, supposedly reading and studying the Bible, as long as they've been doing it and still do all those things, pushing off their man-made doctrines? Let me at them. I'll straighten them out. How can they be saved if they're even saved? If they're saved, they're trusting their works, no doubt. Here's the problem. They forgot that just a few years ago that was them. That was them. And now they despise them. Church number one is judging everybody, church number two is despising the first church. Third church. Third church sees Romans 14, frankly, as a waste of time. Jeff's, they're all animated again, sounds excited about something doesn't really affect me, can we just move on to something better? here's the thought, I wasn't taught those traditions it was man-made, and uh, no, I was never taught that and I don't judge people by man-made rules and you hear that and you say good great you weren't taught that so you didn't have to unlearn bad habits Two, great, you don't judge people. And here's the third thing. I'm not even angry with the people in the first church. Really, probably because they don't know anybody like those people in the first church. Did you catch it? What are we wasting our time for? I wasn't taught these things. I'm not angry with them, and I'm not despising them. I'm not judging people. And here's the real reason. The reason I'm not angry with them and frustrated with them and... and, Judging people, like, really, honestly, it boils down to this. Who cares what they think or what they think? Who cares what anybody thinks? You say, is that the good church out of these three, Jeff? Is this the one you kind of been... Hang with me. Their problem is just that. They don't care what anybody thinks. Not even God. They've forgotten that verse number 12 says, each one of us will give an account of himself to God. This third church that I'm talking about, listen, they do not judge others. Not because God has filled them with mercy. They don't judge others because they have no standards of living. Not even Bible standards. They have an unwritten rule. Hey, I'm not judging you. Don't judge me. All right. Can we just... They have no desire to look into the Word of God because they really don't want to discover something that might inhibit... What they like to do. These people aren't grace-filled and mercy-filled. They're very fleshly and carnal and worldly and sinful. And they have no desire to know God's word and learn what God likes and dislikes so that that might affect how they live. Like, listen, y'all can do all that religious stuff. Just leave me alone. I'm on my way to heaven. I just want a few good songs and a feel-good sermon. And so we could debate, wow, Jeff... Raise your hand if you can identify with those three churches. Anybody? Church number one, very judgmental. Church number two, come out of that. Grace field, grace awakening, but now they're very irritated and despising, and then you got this other one like, we don't have any rules around here. We just don't want our lifestyle inhibited. I don't know which is worse, but I know this. I don't want to be any of those churches. Would you look at verse number five? One person esteems one day... Is better than another, while another stings all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. So here's the second point. Grace for you. Be fully convinced. Listen, have a take. Have a Bible take. Be convinced. Don't be on the fence. Don't be uninformed. If you're a brand new Christian, you're uninformed. But make it as a goal. Live your life. Can we have 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15? Look at this. Peter tells his congregation, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared. Make this your goal in life, Christian. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Hey, Amen. Now listen. I notice you don't ever do that. How come? i got a Bible reason for that. Hey, I notice that you always, every week, you do that and that and that, and this seems very important to you. Why do you do that? Um, Well, if if you're asking me, I have a Bible reason. Here's why. Have you ever met someone who, everything you ask them, they start like, hold on, and they're going through the Rolodex, and it's like, well, I think the Bible, and they want to give a Bible reason for everything they do. Strive to be that way. Grace for you. Paul's desire in verse, number, verse number five is that God's people would be driven to the Word of God to have a take, have a Bible take, and in so doing, you might just find the standards you've had, you read the Bible, and there it is. I've had the right standard, and I'm going to maintain it. Now I know why. Or you may find this thing I've made a big deal is not even in the Bible. I've got to change. Or I didn't know the Bible said that. And those people over there were right the whole time. I need to change. This is a big deal. Christian, it's good to have personal beliefs. Listen, it's good to have personal standards of what you will and will not do. I don't want to set yours for you. You need to have some. Do you have some? If we just paused. If this is a Wednesday night. This would be where we would hand out the sheet of paper. And I'd say, all right, you got Five minutes. Complete this sentence. As a Christian, I believe fairly strongly that people should blank. And I believe fairly strongly that Christians should not blank. If I gave you five minutes and said, fill it out, go, what would you put on there? Would, would you say, like, simple stuff, I believe Christians should not lie. Why do you believe it's wrong to lie? I believe Christians should go to church. You're here today. Good. Why are you here? Do you have a Bible reason? I believe Christians, as God blesses them with gifts or salaries, I believe Christians should give a portion of that back to the Lord. Why do you believe that? I don't think Christians should do that or that or that. Why strive to have a Bible reason for why you do what you do? Do you have any? What are yours? What are yours? What are yours? Hey, young people. have got several young people. I'm looking around. Do you guys have dating standards? Yes, you got to be pretty. That's it. Girls, is it this? Uh, Whoever asks me out, that's the standard. If they ask, I'll say yes. Really? Do you have marriage standards? Do you have marriage standards? I will only marry this kind of person. Do you have standards for preachers? Grace, do you have standards for preachers? I do. And if it starts, if your list, I'm not saying it can't include this, but if your list starts with what they look like, how talented they are, how long they preach, that could be in your list. But I going to tell you right now, mine doesn't start with any of those things. It doesn't start with how gifted, how many different styles of variation they use, how many manipulative do they pull into their teaching. Those aren't the main things. Friends... Like, yeah, whoever kind of takes me into their circle, that's my friends. Careers? Do you have standards of what you would do? If the simple answer is, yeah, whatever pays the most money. I'll I'll do pretty much anything for money. That's not good. We need to have standards, but write it down. The Bible warns us in all of that obtaining of our personal beliefs and what we will and will not do, the Bible warns against drawing lines where God has not drawn lines and it warns us against imposing our opinions on others in such a way that it causes division would you look at mark chapter 7 mark 7 it will be on the screen but if you want to mark this in your bible mark chapter 7 verse 1 now when the Pharisees gathered to him, Jesus, with some of the scribes, these are people who copied the scriptures, made more copies of them. So when the Pharisees gathered with him, some, with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw, notice they see first, they, they're noticing, they saw that some of Jesus' disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. It doesn't mean literally they hadn't washed like with a cleansing agent, they hadn't done it their way. Verse 3 down to verse 4 is a commentary. It's a, par- a parenthetical statement. Look at verse 3. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, uh-oh, out rubbing shoulders with the Gentiles, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. In other words, they have a certain way. Apparently they had when you washed your hands before you would eat you would wash them and I can't remember the exact but the water would run off the fingertips and water would run off at the, at the, at the wrist and you do it again pouring water over the third time so it again runs off at the fingertips or maybe it's the other way around and you kind of wash with the fist and it's not to, so much to be physically clean it's ceremonial and here come these guys and they're noticing Jesus' disciples are eating and they haven't done the traditions of the elders they haven't done the hand washing the exact right way verse 5 not only do they see it They're going to ask Jesus about it. And the Pharisees and the scribes ask him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And Jesus said to them, hey guys, guess what? You're in the Bible. What? You're in the Bible. I'm in the Bible. Yeah, your whole group, you're in the Bible. Verse 6. Jesus says, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as it is written. This people honors me with their lips. Talk a good game. But their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. Here comes. Teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Catch that. They're going around saying, God says this when God did not say that. They're teaching as doctrines commandments of men. Verse 8. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And that's a problem. Literally when traditions of the elders, the preachers of their day, we've read the Bible and we think these are the applications. A good Christian would do this and this and this. Then they have these rules. Well, over here's what the Bible very clearly says. When those two are side by side, here's what these people did. We choose the traditions. We're going to disregard the commandments of God, the clear teachings. And Jesus says, don't do that. Listen to what I'm about to say. Two ends of the spectrum. Christian, be careful not to think you are more spiritual because you maintain and live by standards God has not named for all Christians. Did you catch it? I'm more spiritual. Why? Because I wear black and white pinstripes. Every day I wear black and white pinstripes. Hold on. Who said black and white pinstripes are godly? It doesn't matter. I've set that up as the rule. And I'm the only one in Anderson who wears them every day. I'm the most... You've lost your mind. You don't get to do that. Flip side. Christian, hear me. Do not think you are more spiritual because God in His grace has liberated you and shown you things that He has not yet shown other Christians who are still in some bondage to some things that you've been liberated from. Remember, God showed it to you. It wasn't your brilliance. He hasn't shown it to them yet. Be patient. So you have a list on your handout. Let's hit this quickly. Have a take. Have a Bible take. There are certain fundamentals of the faith. I go over this when we do our new uh, new members class. There are fundamentals of the faith which Christians, frankly, are risking their eternal lives on. So the fundamentals, man, we're banking that they're true. My, I'll just tell you, my eternal life is banking on these fundamentals being facts. I'm putting, I've gone all in on the fundamentals of the faith. But by saying that, there are lesser doctrines. Here's what we talk about in the New Believers Class, the New Members Class. There are primary doctrines, which means there are secondary doctrines, and then there are tertiary doctrines. Primary, secondary, tertiary, which means third-level doctrines. If I were to give you a piece of paper, Christian, hang with me. If I said, what are the primary doctrines? What are the fundamentals of the faith? What starts coming to mind? You're like, the ones that, man, these are the have-tos you need to agree, and this really determines our eternal destiny? Ah, wow. Uh, what are you coming up with? Write these three down. There's more, but I would offer these three as no-brainers. Primary doctrine. We need to learn the difference. Number one, the Bible is God's inspired word. The Bible is not just a book. It's not just a book among, it's not just like the best book of of the books. The Bible is the inspired word of God. That's a fundamental of the faith. Secondly, we would talk about Christ, and I have just a short line there. I ran out of space. We could add much more to it. What do we believe about Jesus? It's a fundamental. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Creator. He's the Lord of all people. Jesus is God's Son. That's a fundamental. That's a primary doctrine. Here's another one. Salvation. Hey, how do we go to heaven? Salvation is by grace through faith. It literally is God saying, I'm going to give you salvation because of what my son did on the cross. And you say, I'll take it. That's it. You're saved at that moment. These are primary level. Then there's secondary level. This is my opinion. I'm getting into opinion here. I'm going to throw these out quickly. Church leadership. Some churches are congregational. Some are majority rules. They vote on everything. Some are led by one pastor, whatever he says goes. Some are led by deacon boards. Some are led by deacon boards with one pastor. Here at Graceview, we're right. It's by elders in support of deacons. One of these days. That was arrogant. Sorry about that, but it is true. But anyway. uh, With support of deacons with, with the elders. And one day we'll preach on that. Here's here's a secondary. You ever heard of sign gifts? The sign gifts? You're like, wait, wait, what's that? Spiritual gifts? You've heard of these? Healings? Miracles? Speaking in tongues? Interpreting tongues. Jeff, what's your stance on that? One day we'll probably preach on that. There's two camps. There's cessationists. Yeah, that's real. Those are real, but they've stopped. And then there's continuationists. Those are real, and God still uses them today in various forms, as needed. It's God's prerogative. So you have cessationists, you have continuationists. Secondary doctrine. You have end times doctrine. Some of us are reading Revelation right now. I have some beliefs. My pastor ingrained them into me. I have a model of end times doctrine. One that's not on your list, grounds of divorce. This guy over here says, that's grounds for divorce. This guy over here says, no, that's not. This is the only grounds for divorce. Who's right? Good people on both sides. Good people on both sides of the end times doctrine. Good people on both sides in church government. Good people on both sides in sign gifts. But I'm going to tell you this. I in my heart believe I'll go to prison for the primary doctrine. I'm not going to prison for that secondary list. I'm just not going to prison for those. You wouldn't go to prison for elder leadership in the church? No, I'll think it's true, and I'll kind of have my Bible reasons. I'm not going to jail for that. I'm not dying for that. And then you have tertiary doctrine. You're like, what's that? Uh Uh-oh, here we come. Things like Bible translations. Things like music styles. Things like dress standards and appearance standards. Do y'all know there are churches, if I were to put that list on the screen, there would be people right now that would get up and walk out, because here's their thought. Those are primary. How dare you put them on third level. Those are the main. Let me give you a hint. I think we'll go into this a little bit next week. Here's a hint. Sheer volume of content in the New Testament is often a hint as to which level a certain doctrine belongs in. Just off the cuff, that list, how many verses do you have in your mind that deal specifically with those things? And you're going, ah, ah. How many deals with the Bible being the Word of God and Jesus being the Son of God and salvation by grace through faith alone? You're like, it's all over the place. Yes. This bugs me. People being here, you can kind of tell where I lean. People have been in church for many, many years, and they know all about the tertiary, third level doctrines, they know hardly anything about the primary doctrines, have never led anyone to Christ, but they like to divide and split churches over those things. I don't have a lot of patience for that. I need to not despise them, and at times it's tough. Can we be honest? We're never going to agree on every issue, but we must agree on the fundamentals. St. Augustine gives a really good quote. I want you to go home and think about it. Here's what he says. Way back in like the 300s, 400s, he writes, In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. Again, in the essentials, we could say fundamentals, the primary, unity. In the non-essentials, secondary, third level, Liberty, patience with one another. In all things, charity. This should have been in your notes, but I didn't have room. Here's Churches must not attempt to build unity on non-essentials. Churches must not attempt to build unity on they have the same music as us and they dress the same as us and they do the same reading from the same place as us. That's our kind of people. Now, we disagree on how you go to heaven and who Jesus is, but we look the same and we use the same vocabulary. Wrong. I'll tell you about that church. That is the most arrogant. That is the weakest church. We don't build on that. Look at verse 3. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. For God has welcomed him. Welcome them because God has welcomed them. I'm almost done. But I need to make these three points quickly that welcome, receive. Oh, here comes someone in the door. They're a little different on us on some things welcome them, receive them if they fall into the category of weaker in the faith, brothers. But here's what it does not say. This text is not saying welcome false teachers who deny Jesus. It is not saying that. Second John chapter, there is no chapter of 2 John, my apology. 2 John, verse 7. Look what the Bible says. Verse 7. John writes to a house church For many deceivers, these are not just people who did a little off on their theology. They're teachers. They're intentionally trying to trip people up. Many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, they don't think Jesus was really a human being. They downplay his humanness. He says, such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but we we may win a full reward. Verse 9, everyone who goes on ahead, which means goes on past the doctrine of the Bible, they add to it and does not abide in the teaching of Christ, does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Watch what he says. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Hey, brother, good to see you this morning. Hey, what do you believe about Jesus? Ah, probably a ghost, not a real man. Oh, okay, great. Well, good good to have you today. Hey, I want to go teach in one of your classes. Well, sure, we welcome everybody here no, sorry you're at the wrong place we'd appreciate it if you just leave with that nonsense get out of here what does it not mean? it does not mean welcome evildoers does not mean welcome evildoers 1 Corinthians chapter 5 if you want to mark it 1 Corinthians 5 verse number 9 I'm going to go quickly go back and read it later Paul tells the Corinthians, he says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. That was, that was an earlier letter, but they misunderstood. Paul says, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, out on the job site. not talking about separate from them. Or the greedy and the swindlers, idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother." They claim to be a Christian If he is guilty of sexual immorality Or greed or an idolater Reviler, drunkard or swindler Not even to eat with such a one You say Jeff can people that do those things Not come to Graceview Hey if they're unsaved and living in that Bring them on in we want them to hear the gospel But no one could come in and say Hey yeah I want to be a member at Graceview I do get drunk and I have Very poor business practices And I'm an adulterer and a fornicator Wrong you can't be a member here. Verse 12, Paul says, What do I have to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. And then back to Romans 14. To welcome does not mean welcome the weak in the faith so that you can straighten them out with a lecture. And endless questions. Oh yeah, bring them on in. Send them to my class. So why do you believe that? Oh yeah, that's stupid. You're an idiot. You haven't read your Bible yet, have you? Don't do that. Sit down, get your Bible out, and I'm going to give you a list of things and let me straighten you out. Don't do that. So they have too many rules. That's fine. Let them come on in. And let's live in harmony. Christian, I'm going to pray. I know my time's gone. Whatever path of action you choose, you say, Jeff, in my heart, I believe one day. I believe, I believe the Sabbath, Saturday, or I believe the Lord's Day, Sunday. You, n- you need to just dress differently. You need to speak differently. Honestly, this may be you. You may be here this morning, and you tell somebody, like, dude, you lied. What? I, okay, I'm sorry. No, man, you lied on Sunday in the church. You're, like, really bad. You lied on Sunday in the church. You went over three, buddy. And somebody else says, Hold on, man, I think lying is wrong every day. And over here's this guy. This day is special. I'm gonna I'm gonna really worship God and really rest. Because this is the day. And here's another guy who says, Hold on, man, Saturday morning is sacred to me. That's when I play golf. That's when I go fishing. And God and I have a gr- God, look what you've done. And I worship God. Whatever path you take let it not be because of convenience popularity mere desire Why do you have that rule? Because I don't like their rules. Don't let it be just tradition. Why do you do that not that? Well, that's what I've always been taught. I don't really know why. That's just what we do. No. Be fully convinced. If you believe something is fine to do let it be because you have learned it in the Word of God and you can defend it. If you believe something is wrong to do Don't do it even if others are doing it. If you have rules and standards for yourself that are not in the Bible, that is fine. Just don't impose them on others in a way that creates division.